What is going on, guys? Welcome to the Physique Archive. I am your host, Kate and Michelle, aka follow me on Instagram. That's where I get all the latest and greatest and some insights to, new, to some new episodes. Um, for now, I'll just tell you what to expect. So every single week, I'm going to have a guest on, either an athlete, a coach, or someone who is qualified in their field to discuss all things body composition, physique enhancement. And I'll also be sharing some of my own personal prep journey on the podcast. I'm a talker, so this is the best platform for me to go ahead and do that. So I'm excited to learn with you guys. I'm excited to give you some knowledge. I'm excited to get some evidence-based practice along with some old school bodybuilding anecdote and talk all things from physique to performance, from natural bodybuilding to the dark, dark tales of PED. So make sure you subscribe and pay attention because we'll be coming out every single week with a new episode. Without further ado, let's get into it. Everyone, I'm excited to have Miss Dylan Beckner on the podcast today. What she's going to be talking about is it is mental health. Uh, she's a mental health professional, and I'll let her kind of explain more about what she does in her practice and how she got there. But with COVID going on and everything that's kind of manifested this year, I do think it's important to kind of go into 2021 with some perspective and acknowledge, um, you know, that there is a lot of mental health issues going on. Um, and I wanted to get a professional on here that could talk about um, trends that she's seen through this year, um, working with people and the signs of mental disorders, along with anything that's applicable to us as, as physique athletes. So Dylan, uh, introduce yourself, let people know what you do, how you got into it, and we'll kind of go from there. Sure. Thanks, Kate. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Dylan Beckner, and I am a licensed clinical social worker. Um, I got my start. Jeez, let's see. I don't even know. It's been it's been a little bit now where went to school for social work, got out, started working in schools um, and then did community mental health, worked at a hospital specific to um, working with people living with eating disorders. And then now I actually have my own private practice where I just do outpatient work with people experiencing any type of mental health diagnosis. But I would say half of the people that I work with um, are in recovery from an eating disorder. And you um, have competed as well. I just wanted yeah. to throw that out there. She is a fellow competitor. Um, so she kind of knows the psychological adaptations that happen through as well. But regards to COVID, um, you know, how has that changed this year with how you practice um, or cases that you've seen? Have you seen any trends with that? Yeah, it's definitely been a wild year. And of course, it's affected everybody. Um, I would say that anxiety and, and depression have increased a lot, or at least people's awareness of it. Um, and then, of course, doing things virtually has kind of been the way that everyone has moved to. So having even more screen time, whether it's like through work, school, and then also therapy sessions and everything um, has definitely been a change. But for people with anxiety and depression, the like isolation has been really hard and not really knowing what's going to happen in the future and people's hobbies and interests kind of taken away from them has been quite a challenge and just not being able to be um, in like a social setting with their friends or family members um, has definitely taken a toll on a lot of people. And then with the eating disorder community too, um, people being stuck in their house, either constantly surrounded by food uh, and then struggling with what that means for them mentally has been a big thing that I've noticed too. 
Yeah. So I want to dive into some practical uh, tidbits that you can give people. So for those people that are kind of struggling with anxiety and isolation um, that you work with, what are some things that you kind of help them navigate through this period of time with? Because there are still states that are very much shut down um, and people are still you know, struggling, even people that I work with that I have to outsource um, just because it's beyond my scope of practice to kind of help them address these issues. So what are some you know, takeaways that you can give people based on what you've seen in your clientele um, that would help them with what's going on? Yeah. uh, With anxiety, the biggest thing is really just taking care of yourself and trying to be more mindful and present, Um, whether it's a diagnosed disorder or just someone feeling nervous or anxious about anything that's going on. um, I always recommend that people actually look into meditation and like deep breathing exercises and some of those things that, um, like coaches will talk to you about, like, I know we used to talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but really getting into that and practicing it daily is really important. So like waking up um, and doing a meditation before you do anything else with the rest of your day is so huge. Um, and then there's tons of other like coping skills and things that people can find online. Or um, I post stuff all the time on like my Instagram and everything to try to help people just have some tips if they don't feel like they can really get into if, um, working with a therapist at this point. Um, and then for some of the like isolation stuff and social anxiety, doing anything that you can to be with friends or family, even if it's just like texting, um, FaceTiming with people, of course, it's still more screen time, but it is better than nothing. I've also had a lot of people um, starting to write letters to family members and sending them, um, which has been a nice change for them too. It's just something different to look forward to. Yeah, I think that that's awesome. And I think um, one thing that I noticed, because I used to be someone who was like really anxious about just like all my work I had to get done and like looking into the day. And of course, this is different Mm -hmm. as far as like what we're experiencing. But um, I think one of the most important things and things that I preach to my clients is being self-aware. Um, what is it that kind of makes you anxious and why, um, mm-hmm. as well as your own, and maybe this is something that you practice with more like eating disorder clientele is like, um, you know, what is it in the moment that makes you feel this way? And when you feel that way, are you aware of, you know, that trigger? Um, and I think just habits in general are built from triggered moments and, and bad habits or good habits, either one, you could look at it that way, um, is through a system and understanding what triggers that system and then what sets it off um, to kind of manifest itself into real time. Um, so kind of reverse engineering those things is something that, you know, I talk to my clients through, obviously not necessarily, you know, in extreme cases. Um, but I do want to talk about one thing that you hit on, um, which I know a lot of people, not necessarily the people that I work with, but just trends that I see on social media is people that are kind of manifesting eating disorders um, because of the isolation and being surrounded by food, working from home. It's harder to, you know, stick to their quote unquote diet that they experience when they're leaving the house and they're in the office um, or they're in a work setting. So what advice would you give to that group of people? Um. I think the biggest thing is trying not to put so much pressure on yourself because if someone's living, you know, with an eating disorder or even just at risk for one, um, anytime that like you quote mess up, (laughs) you take that so hard on yourself and then it, it just feels worse and worse every single time that you eat or you wake up every day and you feel like crap. And that's never the goal of anything of, 
um, anything related to eating, you know, you don't want to have any type of guilt with food. And obviously it's a little bit different when you're working with a competitor and there's like an end goal in mind and, and you kind of have to like continue looking towards that as like, okay, this, I'm doing it with this specific goal. And I know that after that happens, I'm going to get back to working on like eating what someone who doesn't have the same thing in mind um, would be doing. Um, but really for a competitor, it would be like, you know, planning ahead of time, logging things, portioning things out the way that you need to. But for someone who really isn't into that and more lifestyle or recovering from an eating disorder is just giving yourself the grace that like you're, you're going to do the best that you can. And if you mess up, just try again and do the next right thing. That's something that I tell people all the time is just do the next right thing. Yeah. And one thing that I've done, you know, with my lifestyle clients is give them a lot more flexibility um, with focusing on quality nutrition choices, not necessarily macro tracking, which I found a lot of success in. Um, because again, their goals are way different than my competitors. When you're a competitor, you sign up for it um, and you know what you're getting into or you should. Um, and every coach should kind of be navigating those conversations and have expectations and walk the client through, especially if they're a first time competitor, what they are showing up to do and what goes along with that. Um, mm-hmm. And navigating that through this time, especially if gym limitations are present, you know, those are things that you're going to have to overcome. Um, and a lot of competing is mental. So if your mental health is compromised, I would not even suggest um, that competing is is something that you should be approaching at this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's um, something that I remember an old uh, director that I used to have had a previous client who was getting into bodybuilding after recovering from an eating disorder. And I don't want to say it's like, you know, completely out of the question, but you definitely just have to be in a really good mental space before you even begin to look into doing something like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And one thing that you, um, I remember when we were working together, um, that you struggled a little bit post-show. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember you reaching out to me and talking about it. So uh, I want you to kind of give your perspective on that time in your life and, and you know, the conversations we had, how you overcame it, um, and how it's probably made you a better a practitioner in what you do. Oh, yeah, it absolutely has. <laughs> I think this last prep, well, this last prep was the hardest one that I did because we got so lean, but we had to. Um, so my muscle mass like wasn't totally there. But um, yeah, post show, because my macros are pretty low for a while, I struggled with um, like not being able to adhere completely to them. And so I, it wasn't binging by any means, but I would eat more. And I remember like eating Oreos were my vice. I freaking <laughs> love Oreos. And I remember having like two after dinner every night and then the guilt was so insane from it. And I felt so ashamed by it. Um, even though it's two Oreos, like it's, it's not mm-hmm. a big deal, but, but in your head after being so dedicated and not like straying from plan at all, you struggle so much with that. Um, and so, yeah, after that, I just had to keep reminding myself that like my bo- I'm listening to my body, <laughs> like it's mental Yes. And I was also in such a depleted state for so long. I did the competition. I had a freaking blast. It was awesome. And then after I just had to follow the plan that you had given me as my coach. And then if I messed up, like I messed up and just had to try and do better the next day. It's not even a mess up, really. It's more of just like, okay, this happened. I'm acknowledging it and I'm moving on and trying not to get stuck in that like shame spiral that people can really get so stuck in because it really is 
so much a mental thing and not just a physical thing with competing but it definitely made me so much of a better (laughs) practitioner after going through something like that because I've been able to relate a little bit to some of my clients and some of the things that they're really struggling with yeah and one of the most important things that to me that I see in coaching is yes we are on it through through the process you know we have to be disciplined we have to execute that's what you sign up for you know and I'm always going to kind of give you peace of mind when people go off track However, in the offseason, I think that we start to pay attention so much to a macro that we forget the calorie composition of those macros. Um, And so being over four grams of carbs is 16 calories. That is not going to put, you know, that's not going to be detrimental to somebody's progress, right? Mm -hmm. If if it's an Oreo, and I don't exactly know off the top of my head how many calories are in an Oreo, but if you're over 150 calories, that's not going to do any detrimental progress. Mm-hmm. So, you know, speaking logic back into the brains of people that kind of get hyper-focused on the macronutrient um, is really, really important in understanding, you know, being able to be flexible and have those moments uh, mindfully. Obviously, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, I don't like to see binge eating and, and luckily I'm, you know, at the point where I get most of my clients ready way ahead of time um, so that we're eating into the show and they're starting off in the reverse in a, in a really good place. Um, and that's always a great place to be. I find that that mitigates any kind of post-show rebounding or, or overeating, um, especially with this year mm-hmm. and the the being locked up at home or maybe around family members that enjoy foods that you don't necessarily <laughs> enjoy having around you, right? There, there may be a trigger food. Um, and that's something that I wanted to ask you about. So um, I find just, in the, again, like paying attention, but I, this is not my, my realm. Um, I find that people with disordered eating patterns tend to cohort with other people with disordered eating patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's something that's common, something that you see, something that is in like that you're aware of that's just known. Um, but I don't know if you can talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, specifically with eating disorders, it's it's very competitive, um, sort of in its own way. And so I have a lot of clients who, um, like make friends, especially over the internet with other people who struggle, uh, with different eating disorders. Um, and then in a way kind of sounds bad, but like cheer each other on or give each other like tips and tricks. And that can be obviously a really, really slippery slope. Um, but even people living without a specific eating disorder and just, you know, struggling with their relationship with food, um, yeah, finding other people so that there's no like temptation or something, if, if that's what you would want to call it, uh, people that have a similar mindset, which, you know, it can be helpful in the bodybuilding community, because it's so we all have a goal that is so different from what people who aren't trying to compete in a show um, are doing with their lives. So it's, it's like this really strange balance of like having an end goal and then what making sure that it doesn't get to the place of where it can be disordered or where people living with an eating disorder aren't um, finding a way to like continue living with this and finding people to, um, like be with and promote this even more if that makes sense yeah no absolutely and it makes me like reflect on my own you know bodybuilding journey I never had a poor relationship with food actually before (laughs) I got into bodybuilding yeah Um, and then my first coach was so restrictive and it was like fruit is bad this is bad and I remember this is the time um, when you know post-show rebounding was like really popular and I was so afraid of eating anything that was not on my meal plan 
that during my off season, I just stuck to it. Right. And I had no navigation. Um, you know, I was actually, I remember having a conversation with someone else who competed and I was like, am I going to have to do this for the rest of my life? Like I was mm-hmm. still doing, you know, they never cut my cardio. I was still doing like two hours a day. I was eating like a thousand calories and I was like, this sucks. And I don't know how to get out of it because I was mm-hmm. so afraid. Um, and so I think that again, like people that come into competing are, are impressionable. They want to succeed. You know, they're, they're driven individuals um, and under very poor guidance, it can go very badly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen that. And unfortunately it, it breaks my heart when I see people going through those things. And, you know, on social media, I'm pretty good at seeing uh, the truth behind someone's picture yeah. <laughs> um, and tagline, right? Cause you can see people that are, you know, that looks super happy in their picture, but you can kind of tell that they're broken. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I see that a lot of people that, that, that try to maintain this stage weight, right. That, that's kind of, um, in, in unrealistic, um, ideal that they try to hold themselves to. And I see this a lot of the time when coaches preach, you can only gain eight pounds in your off season. You can only gain X amount of weight. Well, I, it's all relative. Number one. And number two, if that person's quality of life is shitty, <laughs> Mm-hmm. I don't care, you know, how much weight they, they gain to get back to some normalcy. Are they having periods? Are they metabolically healthy? Are they physiologically healthy? And on top of that, are they mentally healthy? Where are they at with food? Where are they at in their relationships? And that's one thing you can talk about too, is you were in a relationship with dieting. Um, you know, those, those take a hit. Mm-hmm. And if you're not um, continuing to keep perspective on life outside of competing, you can absolutely get lost in it. And I see that happen a lot with people that get caught up in kind of the glorification of being shredded and the validation from social media that they lose the important aspects in their day to day life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's so crazy with social media now. And of course, especially when you're competing, you see those lines and you're like, oh my gosh, this is freaking awesome. Like, this looks so good. I'm going to, I'm going to kill it up there. Like, this is going to be so much fun. And it is a lot of fun. But then after the show happens and you're putting weight back on, because that's what you need to do just to be healthy and to gain more muscle and improve your relationship with food and everything. There are some people who gain like, you know, five pounds in four weeks. And then there's other people who put on like 10 or 12 and (laughs) there's, there's no like right or wrong way to do it. As long as you're, you are feeding yourself and you're doing okay. And understanding that there are going to be some mental struggles. And I think that's something that isn't really talked a lot about within the bodybuilding community of like reaching out to a therapist or talking to a professional with mental health and someone who works with athletes or understands eating disorders, uh, because there can be sort of a stigma related to bodybuilding of like, okay, well, why are you doing it? And then recognizing that it's, it's hard for you to see your body change, but you're still pursuing this hobby and this activity. And it's like, well, yeah, but it also brings me joy and, it's just a fine line. And I think that's where a lot of, um, you know, mental health professionals can improve too, is not um, having any judgment around a sport like this, because it is something that a lot of people can benefit from and do really enjoy. But like you were saying too, with relationships and everything, like I'm married, I had a husband and it was really hard on our relationship when I was competing because I was so focused on this one goal I got up at 3.30 in the morning, every morning, lifted, got home at like six, showered eight, commuted an hour to work, worked until like six o'clock, commuted an hour home, ate, 
showered, went to bed. And that was my life. Like we never had time together. We didn't do anything. And I'm so lucky that he was so supportive (laughs) because I don't know if I um, would have gotten through it if it weren't for him, but it's really important to also understand that your support people also need some support too. And so after like post-show and everything, as I was um, like eating more, I started to realize like how much he had been through too and how hard it is for other people in your life. And it's just important to, um, you know, after, after a show or something, recognize that. So then you can also work on improving that relationship too, because it does take a toll on it. Yeah, absolutely. And there were some really important tidbits that you, you know, threw in there that I think is important. And again, I'm not in your area of practice, but I do think that a lot of people are afraid to talk to people, especially in the bodybuilding community for the fear Mm -hmm. of being judged. Um, Because, you know, a lot of people be like, you know, what you're doing is a disorder. Well, no, I mean, yes, there are disordered patterns when you're Mm -hmm. analyzing every calorie and every macronutrient of a food like you shouldn't be living like that Uh, Mm -hmm. but when you put it in the perspective of this is a very short period of time and it requires complete dedication in 24 hours of my day um, but I signed up to do this and I understand um, you know that I can't live like this and no one should live like that all the time I think that that's Mm -hmm. kind of ridiculous Um, but I do think uh, you know having someone that you could speak to especially post-show is where I see people struggle. I still mm-hmm. struggle. I mean, I know that that's something that I I will probably always struggle with, um, but I'm very self-aware of it. And regardless of how I feel, I will always continue to show up and execute for what matters more. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes your feelings don't matter. And I don't want to say that, that they're not valid because they are. Um, but when it comes to, you know, competing, it's, it's not a healthy place to kind of live in and try to live in. And so, even though you might feel better being shredded as far as your body image is concerned, um, you're not going to feel better in the quality of your life. You're not going to be able to show up and function the way that you should be able to function in your day to day. Um, And you're not going to be able to stay healthy again, metabolically, physiologically, and your mental health is going to take a toll. I mean, there are so many things that adapt when, when you diet like that, that if you don't reverse those things, um, you are going to be in a really, really shitty place, um, Mm -hmm. for a long time. And it's, it's hard when I get people, you know, that refuse to come out of it for a long time. I have to have that conversation of, you know, if you're with me, we have to, if you don't want to do this, I can't work with you. And those are hard conversations. Um, but I want what's best for the client. And sometimes that's beyond what I can offer them. Um, and so open the most important thing to me with the people that I work with. If I don't know that they're struggling, I can't help them address it. But on the other side of the coin, um, when they do communicate that something is is really, really manifesting in a bad way, you know, it is the coach's responsibility to care enough about that person that they suggest that they outsource them um, to someone who can actually mm-hmm. take care of them. I see a lot of people that somehow have made it through an eating disorder. Um, and actually, I would like your opinion on this. Um, you know, people that have disordered eating or eating disorders, do you think that that's something that you ever actually overcome that you're just, I'm not, I don't have an eating disorder anymore. Or do you think that people that truly have those experiences will always have disordered thoughts, maybe not practice them, but be in that area mm-hmm. of thinking? Yeah. I mean, it's a really good point. Um, I 
in a way, kind of think of an eating disorder almost as an addiction. And that can be really scary to think about. But yeah, I think people can recover from the behaviors of an eating disorder, but it's a freaking fight every single day. You wake up in the morning and if you go to eat breakfast, you're fighting to eat breakfast. Um, And it's hard because it's like this argument that you have with yourself every day, but then you go and you make the right choice because you know that you have to. So I think that people, yeah, they recover from the behaviors. And I'm sure there are days that are a little bit easier than others in terms of like the the mental and emotional side of it, but it's hard. Um, and so if someone with an, you know, in recovery from an eating disorder is to get into competing, like having to be really honest with a coach about that and being really open and having a lot of extra supports to help get through that. Um, but even outside of competing, yeah, I think it is almost like an addiction in a way. So making that fight every day and choosing to do the right thing is really, um, kind of where, where people are at in terms of recovery and whether or not they, they get through it completely. Yeah. And so that goes back to the point I was making is I see a lot of these coaches that will coach people through eating disorders because they've overcome their own eating disorder. And from Mm -hmm. a professional's perspective, you know, what are your thoughts and opinions on that? Yeah. So do you mean, um, like a coach overcoming an eating disorder? Yeah. So for example, like there are coaches on Instagram that will be like, I overcame my eating disorder and I can coach you through yours essentially. Um, you know, where, Mm -hmm. where do you feel that lies? Like, how do you feel about that? Yeah. Oh, that's so tricky. (laughs) I mean, even as like an eating disorder therapist, there are a lot of places that, will hire people who have recovered from their own eating disorder because they can relate so well to people. And then there are other places that are like, no, absolutely not. It can be too triggering and and too difficult. So it kind of depends. But I think that in order for someone to really help someone or coach someone in that way, they should have a really firm, like, you know, registered dietitian background or mental health professional you know, with some type of like, you know, coaching physique, whatever, um, kind of background as well. But I think that's where having more education and something to truly, truly fall back on is really important because there, there really is a difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian. And a dietitian is the one that has more of the, the, the training, um, and everything where a nutritionist, I'm not going to knock them, but, um, you know, I'm sure they still do good work, but dietitians just have more of that background and understanding, especially with some eating disorder stuff. Yeah. So can you kind of do a deep dive maybe if if you know um, the difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian just for so that everybody understands what you're saying? Yeah. So it's my understanding um, because I work closely with dietitians and honestly, I, I love dietitians. <laughs> I think that um, they're probably pretty undervalued or overlooked. Um, but dietitians have, they, they go to school and they get licensed, um, and have all sorts of background and anything diet related, whether it's for diabetes or any other like medical conditions, um, just like weight loss, but doing it in the, the correct way, um, or eating disorders. And uh, not every dietitian has, you know, a firm background in eating disorders, but I believe it's touched on in their education in some way. And then with nutritionists, it's my understanding that it's mostly just like classes that people can take and then like receive a certificate at the end of that class. So again, they're still getting information and training. It's just not quite as deep as someone, um, 
who is a registered dietitian. So it's like if I were going to try and get um, nutrition counseling or something, I would 100% prefer an RD over someone who's a nutritionist. Yeah, I think that that's really important. And one thing that I want to touch on from a physique coach perspective is I coach RDs. Um, so a lot of them mm-hmm. understand, from my from my knowledge, um, their practice and expertise is more in people that have metabolic disorders and can utilize nutrition to help fix that. Um, so addressing mm-hmm. underlying issues as far as vitamin deficiencies um, or constructing, you know, proper meal plans to help people kind of benefit from those. Again, clinically obese people or diabetic individuals, um, you know, people that have fatty liver or cirrhosis or things like that that they can kind of help diagnose and treat through diet. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's my understanding okay. too. Yeah. So a lot of them, because, because I coach them too, like they don't necessarily have the background and knowledge in body comp- optimizing body composition. Um, they're not here, mm-hmm. you know, to help get people shredded. Um, they don't understand right. necessarily macronutrient breakdown and specific protocols to do that, but they do understand how to address underlying issues um, that someone might be facing on a physiological level through nutrition. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to clear that up for everybody right. so that they understood kind of the difference. Um, and that's why yeah. if you have some type of metabolic disorder um, that's out of whack, you should be consulting with um, a professional in that area, which would be your doctor, an endocrinologist, or if it's something that you can fix through the diet, such as, as, such as a deficiency, then an RD um, would be a great person to kind of outsource somebody to. Right, exactly. Awesome. Um, so... Going back into kind of what you do in work, what are, um, if you can elaborate more on kind of addressing the, the issues um, that people or someone specific, if you can share, like without obviously disclosing who the person is, like any big major things that you've really seen stand out um, through, you know, COVID and the way that people are approaching it. I mean, your wedding was one thing that you went through. Um, <laughs> you couldn't even have a full wedding. Um, so yeah. if you like people that are going through those types of big life, mo- like monumental moments through COVID, um, you know, what would be your advice to those people? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. It's been a crazy year for everyone. Um, like I said, I've been married, I've been married for four years, but my husband and I did a vow renewal. It was supposed to be like our big wedding, had to cut it down by about half and, I noticed in myself when I got the news that like our venue had canceled and we had to completely redo everything. I had to send out uninvitations. It was horrible, but yeah, it was so bad. I cried for like hours and hours. Dan was just like, I'm so sorry. Um, But I think like what I was going through and then what I see in so many of my clients and just in talking to other people is grief. Like people are just sad and they're going through a whole process of like this year just isn't what we thought it was going to be. You know, we hear back in March that this is a thing and we're like, oh, it'll be over by like June. No big deal. It's fine. And here we are, December going into 2021. And although it's going to be a new year, like as soon as it hits January 1 of 2021, it doesn't mean that COVID's gone. So I think people are really just going through like a grief period. There's so many different stages of grief and it's like I see people going through all of them in some way or another yeah I won't even lie Um, I was when shows got canceled I was actually (sighs) pissed off 
like to see yeah. how hard my clients are working. You know, for me, I was, the goal was to get back on stage and compete this year. That did not work out. It did not manifest itself. My body was like, no, there was so much stress and anxiety for me around it. Like, is it happening? Is it not happening? Do we push? Do we pull? Do we wait? Do we maintain? Like it was such a, a mind fuck um, that yeah. I was just pissed off. I was pissed off at the world. I was pissed off at the situation. Um, and you know, that's something that I definitely struggled with. And then like you said, grief, like I think the fact that it's now getting into the winter months, it's darker hours, it's longer hours um, for people. It's it's getting to the point where I'm seeing, um, again, just like people that I, I kind of watch. And I, I, I'm a people watcher. I like to pay attention to like uh, behavioral stuff with people, um, just things that I do. Um, but you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's more grief. It's, it's sadness. And it makes me sad. Like when I see people happy right now, it's like Christmas. It's like the most amazing yeah. thing. I'm like, I'm so happy to see people that are fucking happy because I know yeah. a lot more people are not that way right now. Yeah, I know. It makes such a big difference, especially like I've had so many of my clients just writing down and like, and doing an accomplishment journal. I'm like, talk about how you took a shower today and how you got up out of bed. And like you, you did these small little tasks, but over time they really do add up because yeah, I mean, I remember, do you remember going to the Arnold and we were like, do we even go because it got canceled? I thought that was like the worst thing in the world at the time. And then it was like, all this other stuff happened between, you know, just for me, like my wedding and then all these other things compounding, like all together at once. But yeah, when the Arnold got canceled, it was like, oh my gosh, what do we do? This is horrible. This is so sad. And then like, I think to Taylor, oh my gosh, and all of her shows getting canceled and finally being able to compete, which I know so many people dealt with. I literally cried for her that day. I was so proud. I was just happy. It was it was a moment like when you see people work their asses off and they're like, no, I'm not quitting because we had to have many conversations. I was like, are you sure? I don't know, you know, what's going to happen with the next show that we have in line. Like if it gets, you know, I can't keep keep you lean. I can't keep you dieting. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a stress. It's a huge stress. Um, And she was like, you know, I'm going to do what I have to do. I haven't worked this hard to turn around. And so, you know, I commend her for that. But I have to tell you, like, it gives me chills right now talking about it. Like I was so beyond proud of her for pushing through and showing up because it would have been easier to say you know what it's not my time it's not my time mm-hmm. and she was like fuck it I'm gonna make it my time <laughs> like it's happening I know um and I, I couldn't <laughs> like I, I just you know there are people that are built like that I couldn't do that this year you know my body at some point was like no we're not doing it anymore we're not responding and mm-hmm. you know that was hard like the Arnold was supposed to be the beginning of my season lo and behold it was the beginning and the end of my season I know <laughs> um, and yeah, it's just, it's so bizarre to me. And so, um, from your perspective and, and people that are really struggling with, with depression, like what advice, what, what can you say? I know that that's probably a, a deep dive and, and very individual, like every coaching aspect is, but, um, you know, what is some, some tidbits that you can give people that are, are actually struggling to get out of bed, that are actually struggling to go about their day to day that just don't find purpose because they're, they feel confined to the four walls around them in their house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it sucks because it has been almost like a full year of being stuck in your house. Um, I have a ton of people like journaling right now and just getting it out of your head helps so much. Even if you're lying in bed and just journaling about the thoughts that you're having or whatever it, it is that is kind of consuming you in that moment can help a ton. Um, and you know, my husband is someone who struggles with depression. He was in the army and he just has a whole bunch of stuff going on in his own head. And I remember he showed me this 
thing one time and I've shared it with so many people and it's called the five second rule. And it's it's like a little cheesy, but it's great at the same time. And um, it's, I forget the woman's name, but um, she did a TED talk on it and she was talking about living with her own depression. And then she would wake up in the morning and count down from five all the Mel, way to is zero. Is it Mel Robbins? Like, yes. yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, amazing. And so I tell people to do that all the time and to be a rocket ship and just blast off and get the fuck out of bed because <laughs> as soon as your feet hit the floor, you're good. And you're going to keep going. It's like days when you struggle to go to the gym. As soon as you put your gym clothes on and your shoes, you're like, all right, I'm going. It's so funny <laughs> that you say that because I have listened to Mel Robbins. I've listened to this. And that's exactly what I did during my last prep. Because, I mean, my last prep, yes. I was doing, you know, three hours of cardio on some days. Um, mm-hmm. And that yeah. sucks. And nobody should have to do that. But I did that. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I had to just literally be like, I don't want to do this, but, you know, five, four, three, and you just get up and you fucking go because, like, momentum yeah. is everything. Once an object, like I always tell my clients, an object in motion stays in motion. Like, and through prep, you you realize that when you sit down at the end of the day, you're exhausted. Like, you're done. So mm-hmm. my goal is always when I get to that point, like, I'm just going to stay up. I got to keep moving. Like, just keep fucking going. And then when you sit down, you're done. Like, yes. you you did it. You accomplished all your tasks. You can rest. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And like, and then you feel so good and so accomplished at the end of the day because you're like, I freaking did that. Like, I got up and, and I didn't want to. And I like, here I did. I accomplished all of these things throughout the day. And it's so cool to look back on that and be like, yeah, I, I fucking did yeah. that. <laughs> and one thing that helps me because I'm someone who always has these ideas going through my head. Um, you know, and I'm like, I got to get this done. I got to get this done. I got to get this done. It's having a to-do list because if I can have mm-hmm. 10 items, you know, five for some people, whatever it is that you can accomplish in a day and you check them off, you look back and you, even if it feels like you didn't do anything that day, you're like, I just did all this shit. Like I did accomplish these things throughout the day. Um, and so having that for me has given me a, a sense of like, okay, it's okay to wind down and like relax now. Like you did your work today. It's done. And tomorrow there will be more work yeah. to be done. <laughs> Exactly. And I talk to my clients about that all the time. Something as simple as just creating a schedule can do so much. And it doesn't mean that every hour of the day has to be scheduled and you need to be full, but at least getting some of those basic things done and then giving yourself time to do whatever else you want is going to help so much. Like I think back to my prep and having a schedule freaking Mm -hmm. saved me because I knew what was going on every, you know, like I said, at three 30, I would get up in the morning. People thought I was freaking crazy. And I kind of was, but like it, it worked because I was able to do everything I needed to do and then I was asleep in bed by like 8 39 o'clock every single night <laughs> and I slept really well but I I knew what was coming and I knew what I was going to accomplish that day and it didn't matter what got in my way I did and I it. love that and that's one of the things I love about prep people think I'm crazy because I, I I truly am passionate about the sport and yes it's it's put me through a whirlwind it probably gave me you know some type of disorder when I first got into it but that was not the sport that was poor guidance um as how to approach mm-hmm. the sport. Those are very two very different dichotomous um, relationships within you know the atmosphere of bodybuilding that I like to to delineate because um, a lot of people will demonize the sport with where they end up because of it, but it's not the sport's fault. It was the guidance and the road that you followed that got you to that end that end place. Mm-hmm. Um, and for right. me, 
you know, bodybuilding, when I have structure in my day, I'm much more efficient. I feel better. I operate better. I, I'm more organized. I, I get into this weird cleaning thing where everything has to be clean, right? Like you just, you pick up these weird mm-hmm. habits, but I, I think that they're so life enhancing if you, if you let them be, if, if, but if you allow them, obviously like stress, you know, it can be really good. Some people do really well under stress. Um, and some people it's debilitating and they just sit there and like, oh my God, I'm so stressed out. Right. So I think, um, perception mm-hmm. and, and perspective behind what you're doing and how you perceive, you know, what you have to do throughout the day and the tests that you have and your obligations. I think that structure, um, implemented correctly does wonders for people. Um, and, you know, I see a lot of my clients and even me, like I prefer to be in, in a prep structure, even in my off season, like I have, you know, still, I have specific times I train and specific times that you know, like my meal timing is on, on point. You know, I do all those things because it makes me better. Um, I show up better for my clients. I show up better for myself. I show up better for my relationships. Whereas, you know, I tried, mm-hmm. and this is not to knock intuitive eating, but I did try intuitive eating for myself. Um, and I found that it was, I wasn't, I just wasn't as good. You know, I, it's not that food mm-hmm. is everything, but remember that like food you have to eat at some point, like it's going to be a part of your day regardless, which is also something I find, you know, I feel for people that do have eating disorders. Cause it's not like alcohol not just go to the bar or not just go to the liquor store right? It's a completely Mm -hmm. different animal when you have to show up and eat every day, right? You have to eat to live. Um, Mm -hmm. But you can elaborate more on that. But I'm my point being that like for for bodybuilding in itself, like the structure that it provides people, I think is incredibly life enhancing when perceived and practiced in the right ways. Yeah, for sure. It's like having that routine and that structure can be super helpful. Like you said, though, it's important to have it done in the right way and not having it just be like rice, chicken and asparagus or tilapia, like day in and day out for six months. Like that's not going to work. And that's going to make things really hard. Absolutely. Um, But I really like what you said about stress, how like, yes, I mean, stress sucks. No one likes to be stressed. And at the same time, like it can really help to push you forward. And it's the same thing with anxiety. I try to tell people all the time, like, don't hate the anxiety. I understand that it's hard, but it, we have it because it's kept us safe. That's why humans still exist today. Like at one point in time, there was a tiger chasing someone, they were anxious and they got the hell out of there. And that's good. Like that's a good thing to have. So it's just about managing it in the best way possible so that it's not all consuming. Um, But same goes for stress and so many other things in your life. Yeah. And I think one of the hardest things about being anxious um, is that you are manifesting a reality that hasn't occurred yet. So you're living in the future, right? You're, you're anticipating mm-hmm. an outcome that you don't know is going to be real. Um, and that scares you or mm-hmm. makes you nervous, right? It's like taking an exam, like, did I fail? Did I pass? I don't even know how it's going to go, right? right. Um, yeah. Or anything, you know, people get anxious about these things. And it's, it's, it's a lot of time losing the moment that you're in and hyper-focusing on an outcome mm-hmm. that you don't know is going to happen yet. Exactly. And then it's the stress and the anxiety changes nothing. You're not going to do anything differently because of the anxiety or the stress. Like it's just going to make you feel bad. And that's where trying to do things to stay present in the moment is so helpful. And there's like so many grounding exercises and the meditation stuff and like guided imagery, all of that stuff helps to keep it so that you are focused on the present rather than focusing on like the exam that you have coming up or what you're going to do a year from now or, you know, what people are going to major in in college when they're a freshman in high school. I'm like, try not to fret about it. Like you've got so much other stuff going on. And it's probably going to change a thousand times. I didn't think I was going to be a therapist. I thought I was going to be a marine biologist when I was in high school. And like, (laughs) you don't have to know everything 
like right now you can figure it out absolutely along the way. and like goodness gracious we could talk about like life and outcomes like I never thought this is where I would be like if life worked out the way yeah. I thought it was going to work I would be playing in the WNBA like that would be my life right, right? but then life happens yeah. and you have to adapt um, and you have to look at, you know, okay, here are my options like this, this setback, like, yeah, it sucks, but here's an opportunity for me to be better in a different avenue of my life that I didn't even know I was going to be passionate about. But look at me now, like, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't be more thrilled with what I'm doing with my life. Um, and I don't know that there was anything mm-hmm. else in life that would light me up, not just like what I do in my day to day, like the lifestyle of bodybuilding, but intellectually with education, like I'm always pursuing knowledge. And I love that. Like, it's something that I, I, I get excited about and I've never outside of this, like been excited about learning. So that was cool for me. And I can still, you know, make an mm-hmm. impact on people, which is what I've always like tried to do with my platforms and stuff. But now I get more one-on-one interactions with people and building, you know, these relationships. Like I couldn't be more grateful that I went through that traumatic experience. Even in the moment, it felt like my world just crashed around me. Yeah. Yeah. And like you go through everything and then you're a better person and you're stronger yeah, because absolutely. of it. I, I just think that that's yeah, incredibly important. There are so many things that like I wanted, I, I want to elaborate on, but now my mind is like everywhere. Like these are just, this, went, this went in a super cool direction. Um, but uh, one thing I did want to say, and, and you can kind of talk on this as far as anxiety and people that think about the future, one thing that's helped me um, is if I'm anxious about something that I can do something about, Taking actions to do something about the possibility of that outcome um, is important. For example, if you're stressed about an exam, but you haven't studied for it, well, then you're like self-sabotaging in that situation, right? Whereas Mm -hmm. if you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do exam, but I'm going to study my ass off for it and like hope I do well, like at least you came into that situation prepared. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And it's the same thing, like with the stress and anxiety thing that we were talking about a little bit ago of like, that stuff is going to help propel you forward. But it's about thinking what is in your control and what is not in your control. So studying, that's something that's in your control, whether or not you have a test, that's not in your control. So you you can't be like, Oh, I just won't study today. And I'll study six months from now and then take the test like that. That's just not an option. Um, So yeah, like, once you figure out, okay, this is something that I can actually change and then taking the steps to do it. Um, and thinking about it more so in like a short term is really helpful because, you know, you can look ahead and then still be anxious about something and not be in the position yet to do something to help fix it or change it or have a different outcome because it's too far away. You can take like little steps one day at a time to help. Yeah. And I think one of the hardest things that I see with people is the, outcome of a conversation that they're afraid to have um and Mm -hmm. I don't know what your advice is for that for me it's always speak the truth and be very honest right as long as you're very forthright with where you're coming how you're feeling and what your thoughts are on a given situation and communicating that to that person you can't control how they react but you'll always feel better for being very honest Exactly. Yeah. And it comes down to like what is in your control and what's out of your control. And the only thing that's in your control is what it is that you say. And you don't want to go into a conversation expecting what the outcome is going to be because you're, you could be disappointed. And so if, if you're going to do that, recognize that if you want someone to say yes to something, there's a 50% chance they could say no. And 
I, I try to recommend that people don't get upset about that because you don't know what their response is going to be. And then if you are playing these conversations out in your head, you can just make yourself kind of crazy over it. So go into conversations without any expectations, be honest and say how it is that you really feel, bring your own emotions into it because showing that vulnerability and that honesty is going to make that other person do the same. Yeah. And I think that one thing people try to do is like project either guilt or or something else. Like you made me feel this way instead of being like, when you do this, I feel this way. And I think that Yes, I yeah, state Yeah, and when you <laughs> phrase it that way, instead of attacking that person, the outcome of that conversation tends, in my at least in my own experience, tends to end up a lot better. Yeah, completely, because people's defensive walls come up and they're, they don't even hear you anymore because they're listening to respond. They're not listening to actually take in what it is that you're saying. They're already thinking of what they can say next to defend their point. And that's where those I statements really do come into play of like, I feel whatever kind of emotion because of all these other things. And then that person can respond with how they're feeling and then you can actually have a constructive conversation. Yeah, no, that's it's it's all about communication and quality communication. Um, but mm-hmm. Dylan, I'm super happy that we came on. We're going to have to do another follow-up, I can already tell. Um, so before yeah. we get off, can you please tell our listeners where they can find you? Um, and if they wanted to contact you, um, how they would go about doing so? Yeah, sure. So... Um, I am on Instagram at Beckner Counseling. Um, that's just my like professional one. I don't use my personal one a ton, but um, you can reach up to me there if you won't really wanted to. It's just Dylan and then two underscores Beckner. Um, I also have a book on Amazon now, and it's a body Yay! acceptance journal. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. Um, you can buy it on Amazon um, and fill it out and it's just accepting your body for the way that it is. And obviously as a competitor, I understand that there are people out there who are going to change their bodies with an end goal in sight, but especially in the off season, it's super helpful to appreciate that your body allows you to do what you're doing in prep. And then obviously for people living with eating disorders and everything, it's a super, super helpful journal. Um, but you can also go to my website, which is BecknerCounseling.com. Um, I'm more than happy to speak with anyone. And then in terms of like actual therapy and stuff, I'm only licensed in Virginia. So I can't help out people in like Texas and stuff. Um, but definitely more than happy to try to help someone find resources if they really wanted to or to just talk and, you know, share experiences. I so much appreciate you. And I'm sure that people will reach out to you, if not to talk with you or consult with you to find someone who understands your perspective. Again, I think that there are not many therapists that actually understand bodybuilding. Um, and I think that that's an awesome mm-hmm. niche that you can that you can help guide. So I super appreciate you coming on today and we'll definitely schedule a follow up. So guys, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. And Dylan, we'll talk soon. Yeah, sounds Bye. good. Thank you.